0: Photograph uh, Alabama football Bear Bryant. Really, you know, um, it's
1: not a bad gig. Not
0: a bad gig. It's a two-hour drive, but <laughs> it was okay too because you're out of work. Yeah. And, and during that drive from Montgomery to Tuscaloosa, you, you're going the back roads. Some of my best pictures came on that drive. You'd see a farmer out in the field plowing or whatever, and, and I'd get I'd park on the side of the road, get out, and walk through the field, and talk to him take pictures.
1: From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Mark Walheiser, award-winning photographer who has captured some of our area's most iconic moments. From hurricanes and political rallies to football national championships, Mark's images have put us right in the middle of the action, which is exactly where he has spent most of his career. After 27 years as a photojournalist and editor at the Tallahassee Democrat, Mark is now a freelancer and official photographer of the FAMU FSU College of Engineering. The Kentucky native is a husband and father who loves nothing more than ending the day capturing a perfect sunset with friends and family on the coast. We started by talking about Mark's early years Growing up near Nashville, you grew up in Shelbyville, Tennessee. Right, just south of Nashville. Right, right.
0: right. We we call it (laughs) Shovel.
1: You call it what?
0: Shelbyville is the way it's pronounced. If if you're live there, it's like Louisville. Right. Okay. Exactly. (laughs)
1: All right. Well, that would that
0: you would pronounce it Shelbyville. Shelbyville. Call it Shovel. Okay.
1: Um, What was life like there for you? What was like in What was life like in Shelbyville? (laughs)
0: It's a small town, typical small town, uh, rural Tennessee, and I say small town. We had probably 10,000 residents. I think it was like 10,058 on the sign. I went back about eight years ago, and it was 10,300, you know, or something.
1: (laughs) Major population (laughs) boom there.
0: That's right. I did a lot of hunting and fishing. We had a river ran through it, so we'd, we'd go swimming in the river. Did a lot of hunting, a lot of fishing.
1: Did you go into Nashville much?
0: You went into Nashville when you had to. Uh, Now, as we got to be teenagers, of course, that's where we wanted to go. As soon as we got our driver's license, uh, halfway to Nashville was a town called Murfreesboro, and there was a college there, Middle Tennessee State. I do remember when we started driving, we would go to Nashville and get off the interstate, and we wouldn't necessarily know where we were when we got off. And then we would drive and see where we popped out. And that's how I learned to get around Nashville.
1: So tell me about your family. Parents, did you have any siblings? Um, what was your family situation like?
0: Had, uh, I've got one sister. Uh, she's three years older than me. I've always appreciated the fact that she'll always be older. My father was a um, high school basketball coach for my younger years. So you know, when they'd have basketball games, I'd sit on the floor next to him on the bench. It was a lot of fun as a kid. He's the one that taught me to hunt and fish. Uh, my mother worked in the principal's office for a period of time. This was a housewife. My sister was a school teacher in Alabama for a long time, and she's retired, and she now lives in Tallahassee. You talked
1: about hunting and fishing. Were those your favorite things to do as a kid, or did were you into anything else?
0: Yeah, that, that was my favorite thing to do until I, until I got wheels. Uh, <laughs> and, and back then, you could get a motorcycle license at 14, mm-hmm. which is scary, I'll just have to say. Um, Did you ride a motorcycle at oh, 14? yeah, 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 And I don't know how I talked my parents into it.
1: Are we talking like dirt bike or road bike? No, nope, road bike. Okay. Small, Yeah. You know,
0: um, little Honda 65.
1: But it got you around.
0: It got you your freedom. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to ask anybody for a ride. And then a car, of course, a car at 16. It was a great little town to grow up in, although I'll have to say the whole time you're growing up there, you're wanting out. You know, you can't yeah. wait to get out of this little town, you know, blah, blah. And now, you know. It doesn't seem so bad, or right? No, it doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> <laughs> what were your
1: high school years like?
0: They were fun. I was not a very good student. So, therefore, the fun part came in. Why Why were you not a good student? I didn't concentrate well, yeah. you know. Um, you couldn't get too crazy because everybody knew your parents, you know, and my dad had coached there for years. My <laughs> right. mother had worked in the principal's office, although neither one of them were doing it by the time I got to high school. But everybody knew them. So we'll tell Betty, if you don't you know, behave, that was trouble.
1: Yeah. So did you were were you involved in any clubs or play any sports or anything like that?
0: I tried to play sports. Um, my father was uh, All-American football or a little All-American. Uh, he went to West Kentucky, and, and I followed him there. And, but his favorite sport was basketball. Uh, he's tall like me, or I'm tall like him. You're right. But I was not athletic at all. I, I played, I think, basketball until my sophomore—end my sophomore year, and I quit the team. Grew four inches that summer. Um,
1: after you quit? After I quit.
0: <laughs> but— It might have been easier. It, well, it's not like they— Needed or wanted me back. You
1: (laughs) You said you followed your dad to Western Kentucky University. Right. Um, What did
0: you study there? I don't know about what I studied. I took a lot of classes. (laughs) (laughs) Did Um, you have a major at some point? I had a couple of different majors. Um, I started as an English major, which quickly evaporated. Um, And then I took journalism.
1: Okay. They
0: had a Western Kentucky, which is now one of the leading photojournalism schools in the country, at that time had a journalism school and it had a photojournalism sequence. I was not particularly good at it in school either. Good in, at In photojournalism. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, you're in the dark room learning. You'd put a print in the developer and when it got to where you wanted it, I'd snatch it out, you know.
1: Nah, you- so you weren't really feeling it at that point, right? Like, No. No it was spark just yet fun i liked to take pictures right
0: um but but there were uh, photographers there whose work that i would see that inspired me um to be better i just wasn't in school you know it took the job market to make me better you know right uh, one, once they start paying you yeah then
1: it's a different kind of motivation it's definitely a different kind of
0: motivation <laughs> when when your rent's due it's a different motivation
1: that, yeah yeah you might leave it in the in the solution a couple seconds yeah, longer, yeah, right? Yeah.
0: And then learn if it's too dark, you learn how to make it lighter, but it's got to stay in there, you know?
1: <laughs> right? Um, all right, so you leave, did you finish school? Did you get your degree or leave before? Leave. I left before. Okay.
0: I stayed there plenty long <laughs> <laughs> to get my degree.
1: Right. If that were the criteria,
0: I'd, I'd have two degrees. <laughs> I was right. a professional student. That's yeah.
1: We well, are n- not the only
0: one. Exactly.
1: Um, All right, so you leave Western Kentucky, and you got a job as a reporter covering Tennessee walking horses, right? Yes. What is a Tennessee walking horse?
0: I I grew up in Shelbyville, obviously, and that is the um, world headquarters of the Tennessee walking horse. It's a specific breed that's most common to Tennessee, and the walking horse part is specific to its gait. So I took a job at a small magazine there called The Walking Horse Report as a reporter and went to a couple of – you'd go to these horse shows where they compete and you would write about the show, who won, who lost. I'd carry my camera. That was my camera. uh, You'd take pictures or whatnot. But it was – but I was hired as a reporter. That didn't last long. Um, So I started taking more and more pictures, doing less writing, and finally – that became my job. Okay. I was taking the pictures at the horse show. And then a lot of these same uh, horse people would advertise in the publication. So you'd go to the barns and do portraits of their horses. I got a lot of compliments on the pictures I would take from the owners or whatnot. And then the more that happened, the more motivated I was to take better pictures and even better, you know. And so that's kind of what kicked it off.
1: So you were being hired privately to shoot these portraits?
0: No, they would pay the magazine because they were going to advertise the magazine. Oh, I got you. Okay. So then the boss would send you, hey, go shoot a picture of so-and-so's two stud horses. Okay. You would go, and you're supposed to photograph the horse, and he's in front of you, and one of the grooms is holding the leash off to the side. And then there'd be five or six people behind you waving towels and whatnot or, or squeaky toys or something to get the horse's ears up to make them look right. uh, and, and rear their head back. But to me, the picture was always behind me of the people that were, you know, acting all foolish trying to get the horse's <laughs> attention. Right. Well, as it looking back at it now, that was the photojournalism part was behind me. Right. You know, the the pay- real story of that's what's right, going the on. The paycheck's in front of me, <laughs> but the story was behind me. Yeah. So –
1: that's interesting. All right. So I know you had a couple classes. Did you know what you were doing with the camera? Did you know lighting and f stops and all that kind of stuff?
0: The basic f stops, you know, maybe a flash on camera, uh, correct exposure. Working at the Walking Horse magazine or, or newspaper, it was actually a tabloid type uh, newspaper. I made a lot of mistakes there, yeah. and so I can understand why they didn't pay a whole lot. It was a challenge, particularly since I was a one-man band. There was nobody to learn from, if you will. Right. Um, so you're totally self-taught there, um, and that that was a challenge. You know, you, you couldn't go uh, you couldn't go to YouTube and <laughs> check out all right, how right. do I do this or how do I do that.
1: Um, and not only that, but for our younger listeners, explain to them how long it was between the time you actually took the photo. And it wasn't like you could go back and make it up, right? It was it was then and there.
0: You, you didn't look at the back of your
1: camera. Right. You're not looking. I mean, no. you, so, you, you would bracket it you, right to
0: – Right. And you, you drive an hour, to do a shoot, and an hour back, spend an hour in the dark room, and if it didn't turn out right, now you got to go back and do it again. Right. They're not happy. Your boss isn't happy which makes you not happy. right? Um, So, trial by fire, you learn quickly or you work in a grocery store. Right. I remember I worked there a couple of years, I guess. And after a year or so, I felt like I needed a raise, you know. Uh, My rent, my goodness, was $67.50 a month. Yeah. So, it was killing me. I needed a raise. (laughs) Well, he wouldn't give me a raise. Boss wouldn't give me a raise. So, but he would pay me extra for extra work. I made more money cleaning the bathrooms after work than I made as the photographer. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lesson learned, right? That, that's it. Well, wow. better, better get on up the ladder quick.
1: You know? <laughs> I also read where you said that even at this point, you didn't feel like photography was your calling.
0: You know, first job out of school, I liked taking pictures. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't even call it photography, you know, at that point. I just liked taking pictures. But it was not until I got hired in Montgomery and started working at the newspaper, which was a general circulation daily. In fact, both the morning and there was an afternoon paper that I started to develop, you know, the photojournalism right. calling, if right. you
1: will. So you were a general staff photographer. You did breaking news, features, all kinds of stuff?
0: That's right. Yeah, uh, sports. I'd, I'd go photograph um, Alabama football, Bear Bryant. Really? You know, um, it's not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. It was a two-hour drive, but <laughs> it was okay, too, because you were out of work. Yeah. And, and during that drive from Montgomery to Tuscaloosa, you, you're going the back roads. Some of my best pictures came on that drive. You'd see a farmer out in the field plowing or whatever, and, and I'd get I'd park on the side of the road, get out and walk through the field, and talk to him, I, you know, and take pictures. So um, I always try to leave early. We covered a, a vast area of the state south of Birmingham to the Florida line. Mm-hmm. And so there were there were a lot of little towns that I would go and shoot assignments at, high school football at, you know. Um, most all of it was black and white work back then and in the dark room. So you 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 had more leeway with black and white than we had color slide film so you had to be on it, it had to be good especially trying to shoot night football with a flash cuz they didn't have enough stadium lights to and the film was slower slower speed right so i mean
1: that's a lot for somebody with you know limited experience shooting you know shooting horses to all of a sudden you're being thrown into you're shooting bear bryant
0: and uh, um, marches from Selma to Montgomery, uh, yeah. both uh, civil rights marches and Klan marches. Wow! Food shots. You would, we would go and photograph ladies' teas at the country club, where the women get together on a Tuesday afternoon, right. or drink tea or whatever.
1: So, did you feel like you were starting to get the hang of the technical side of it and developing an eye at this point?
0: I was starting to develop an eye. Certainly, um, I mean, photography you know, is 150-plus years old, but there's still—it is not an exact science. Even today, it's not an exact science. I can promise you. (laughs) (laughs) But back then, um, for a young man—and I was 23 when I went there, I guess— it was a challenge, and again you did you couldn't Google up answers, uh, but at least I was with a staff of seven photographers and two photo bosses, uh, chief photographer and a director if you made a bad mistake, which I'd made a couple yeah <laughs> um,
1: like what like what kind of mistake
0: the boss. Um, the director of photography, he went out with a reporter one day and they were riding around in the country outside of Montgomery. I don't think they were working. I Mm -hmm. think they were just out. Uh, There might have been a bottle involved in that. I'm not (laughs) sure. Right. But they, and we listened to police scanners. We had two-way radios and stuff like that. There was a, um, some people that kept lines at their house. Don't ask me why. Lions? Lions. Okay. And one of the lions got out and killed the husband and had the woman trapped in the house. And it was not far from where they were out riding. So they responded, and he shot pictures of the police officers, you know, the sheriff's deputy would be, that showed up and shot the lion and stuff. Came back and pitched me a couple rolls of film and said, soup this. Oh. Mm. Uh,
1: I don't like where this is going. Uh-uh. <laughs>
0: at, at least I was smart enough to not put both rolls of film in the same developing can. I separate them so that if you make a mistake, you don't lose everything. Right. Well, I made a mistake. Uh, I put the, I put the wrong chemical in first, so that that roll's no good. Hmm. Well, the other way you learn, which I don't think they learn these lessons as well. In the news business these days, is when you mess up, you had the old curmudgeon editor that would have you bent over backwards over the countertop, chewing your behind, poking you in the face with this. I mean, it was ugly. Right. Well, you didn't make that mistake again. And, yeah. and, so at least he had a couple of pictures come out. Right. But, it, but of course, the better stuff was on the other sure. wall. Sure. Right. Oops. <laughs> It was not my last mistake. Yeah.
1: you know, I'm sure not. So in 1981, you came to Tallahassee. I did. And was that to work at the Democrat? That
0: was. Okay. Uh, I'd heard of an opening here. And so I gathered my portfolio and, and drove to Tallahassee. And I remember I had my interview on a Saturday afternoon, late Saturday afternoon. And I came in on Tennessee Street uh, from the interstate. And when I came through campus, Tennessee Street there right at campus was just—they were diverting traffic. I mean, it was jam full of people, thousands of people in the street. Well, we had—I didn't know we were playing, but we had just beat Ohio State mm. uh, up in Columbus. Right. And so everybody would file out Tennessee Street and clog it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was that streak of crazy road wins, right? The road warrior. That's that's correct. Bobby Bowden, all that. That's correct. Because he came in 78, I came in 80. Was
1: it Pitt, Ohio State, Nebraska?
0: Now, I was at the Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, By the time they beat Nebraska, you know, I was on the plane. I flew to Lincoln and shot uh, Michigan State, Michigan. Mm We beat all these teams on the road. Right. Because nobody would play us here. Right. When I first came— People were playing us for their homecoming. Right. So that tells you something. Yeah. It, it was exciting times.
1: Yeah. Who was the editor when you came to the Democrat?
0: The uh, executive editor when I came here was Walker Lundy. He is the uh, person that hired me. Uh, I got a 50% raise from Montgomery. so That's I a went. big deal. It is a big deal. And, and beer and cigarettes were cheaper, too. <laughs>
1: Another bonus.
0: It was a bonus. (laughs) Um, So I went from $100 a week to $150 a week. don't remember what my rent was (laughs) at that time. Do you remember what your first assignment was at the Democrat? I do remember what my first assignment was. There was another photographer here named Mike Ewan. He's still here in town. Um, He's he's retired. Uh, He had been to shoot um, an assignment and messed up. Messed up the color. Right. Color's pretty critical. And so I went and reshot it. Shot it on two and a quarter, which was my skill set from Shelbyville anyway. And it was stunning. And this was during the trial period. They they tried me out for a week. Okay. And um, put me in a hotel. So that was my first assignment. So I see that you were also a –
1: part of your job was to be a photo editor, right? It's your photographer and photo editor. Right. So what does a photo editor do?
0: That was uh, much later. I, I can't remember how many years in the job. Oh, so that there. wasn't initially. Oh, that no, was, no, no, no. Oh, okay. No, um, I was there 27 years. Right. So this probably came in year 23 or, oh, Okay. You know, 22. Um, you work with the word editors and the reporters. Uh, you go to the news meetings and, and hear what stories are coming up. Uh, and then you would try to think those through. What would be the best visuals to go with this? How can we, um, do we need to, you know, photograph this aspect of the story or that aspect gotcha. of the story? And then you would create the assignments for the photographers to go out and shoot. Okay. So it's planning the content that that's, goes with the story? That's correct. Okay.
1: That makes sense. Did you like that? That sounds fun.
0: I did like that. I I, liked—and one reason I liked that was because you had some control over how the visual department communicated and worked with the reporters. Uh, Without that photo editor, you would sit back there and wait for an assignment to come in. Let's say an organization raises $10,000 for an NGO or something— And so they would want you to go and photograph them handing them the big fake check. You know, that says nothing. Uh, um, It's just the same check everybody else gets with the number chains. Instead, you know, we would rather go photograph what that check is going to do. And so if you're in the news meetings and working with them, you have a, a chance at the beginning to redirect some of that stuff. By the time the assignment comes back to photo, it's too late. You know, their heads have already moved on to the next day. Right.
1: um, So when you started at the Democrat that first week, I mean, I know you didn't know you were going to be there for 27 years, but (laughs) did you feel like this was a place you could work for a while?
0: It was, I I liked it. I liked the place. Um, There were plenty of folks that were, Young folks who were my age, so you, you could have a relationship. There were there were also plenty of Cremontian editors, you know. Uh, but you learn from them, even the word ones. Um, I didn't make as many mistakes as I did in Montgomery. That's depending on who you ask. But it was a good place to work. I will say my plan, my, my five-year plan, was to—I'd worked three years in Montgomery— to come here and work three years and then move on up to a bigger paper, Orlando, Miami. You know. Right. That was my plan to be gone in three. Didn't work out that way. Didn't work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know you've been
1: arrested four or five times.
0: Well, let's not go there.
1: <laughs> during the during your, you know, the yeah. the execution of your job. There you duties. go. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so... I know most of those had to do with being somewhere where the police told you not to be, but you needed to get the shot, kind of thing, right? Is that correct? Is that mainly what with those situations were?
0: That, that's totally what those situations right.
1: were. So, how do those? How do you balance those two things when your job is to get the shot you're supposed to get, but the police say you can't cross this line or you can't go in there or whatever it is?
0: Well, guess well, how? <laughs> I, I know at
1: least a few times.
0: Guess how I did that? Right. I went there anyway. Right. Um. Uh. Never had a record, never spent more than a couple hours in jail. Um, Most of the two of the times I was released there on the scene. And what I didn't know then but learned during my career, you know, I I felt uh, proud of the fact that, by golly, we won. I did have a right to be there. You've released me. I could be on the—I mean, I was—it's a sidewalk— It's a legal place to be. Right. You know, there are a lot of onlookers standing there. But you just didn't want me there because I'm taking pictures because you didn't run the other folks off or arrest them. So I was in the right. Walker Lundy picks me up and says, well, you're right. You you had a right to be there. Um, Now, I can't wait to get back to paper and see those pictures. So, well, I don't have any because they came over and told me to stop and they arrested me he said well you had a legal right to be there but you're the loser the cops won but mm-hmm. well, you don't have any pictures to show you get some pictures first you know right then go there okay. boom you know and, and and he was right so what positive came out of any of those things i'm not sure you know but it's checks and balances you know it's a dance with law enforcement at that time,
1: I mean, I know they're doing it for your own safety,
0: but no, well, well I don't want to say no. So, some sometimes that is the case, uh, or they don't want you to see what's going that's, on. That's that's what it was in these particular things. They used the safety. I mean, there's nobody shooting a gun. There's no. It was. A, we're talking a house fire, um, uh, and, and you're talking across the street, but you've got a camera, and the rest of the folks standing around don't they know you're with the newspaper I mean they they knew my face right um, if you let that get by then it just keeps happening keeps happening you know so, is it a
1: case where they caught you somewhere or they said stay here and you just went yeah, around them
0: yeah yeah you can't be here you need to move back it's like well here, here's all these other people about them no no you right. gotta move back you gotta go over there across that street no I don't think so but I mean they got the gun you don't so right. you go across the street and then... You work your way back. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, I can remember a shooting on Franklin Street. And it, there was a guy held hostage. <laughs> and so the command post was set up somewhere. And they said, you know, you, you as you cross the outer perimeter, they said, command post is up by the so-and-so. Okay, okay. you your head went, well, I don't want to go to the command post because... They're going to have all the media just corralled right there. It does me no good. I'm not, you know, the reporter needs to be there to write the official account. So I did an end around. It was coming where I thought I could get an angle. And kind of going through the woods, and I heard a police radio crackle. And it was then under Sheriff Larry Campbell's voice that said, watch out. Wallhouser's not here at the command post, so he's out there somewhere. Keep an eye out. <laughs> for him. Well, there were two officers laying in the bushes, you know, with their scoped rifles, whose radio was coming over. When i them stood up and just pointed, and I left. I'd been busted, you know. Right. And I don't remember the rest of that, you know, how that turned out, other than it didn't turn out well for the hostage taker.
1: Did you ever feel physically scared in those situations?
0: Not in those particular situations. Now, I was involved in one shooting when I worked at Montgomery that was pretty hairy. And, and then there's certainly been other stuff I've covered. Uh, the riots in Baton Rouge um, were unnerving. Situations that you would cover were you didn't necessarily have a friendly side, you know, right. that, that you could retreat to.
1: In 2008, you decided to become a full-time freelance slash contract photographer. Um, what led you to that decision at that
0: time? I didn't decide that. That was decided by um, an editor, and that was kind of the start of the layoff firings spiral that the news okay. business has been in. So, was it my decision? But you know, I've liked freelance work.
1: Right. I didn't realize that was that was kind of one of the first steps in the— That
0: was one of the early ones. I one
1: think. of the early ones, okay. Yeah. So it's worked out pretty well for you. It and has.
0: There can always be more work. Right. But, um,
1: so tell me some of the organizations that you've freelanced for.
0: Oh, I'm a contract photographer for The New York Times, Washington Post, Getty Images, Associated Press. Mm-hmm. And, and much like the nude business, one of the things I like about freelance is every job's different. I mean, I've got some specialties, but uh,
1: so tell me how that works. Do you do the do the organizations or publications? Do they choose you specifically, or is it regionally based? And they've got something going on that's within an easy drive for you, and they you're part of a pool that they select from, or how does that work?
0: It's generally um, uh, region based. They've got something nearby, and they check their. Sources and say, oh, we've got a guy. Yeah, he's he's near there, so they call you see if you are available. And, and and my reason, like, get Images. I, I shoot uh, all the hurricanes for them, shoot elections for them. Uh, shot the right over in Baton Rouge for them. So it's six or seven days. So my my area for them is is much bigger. Um, Do you like leaving the area to shoot stuff? I, I I much prefer leaving the area to shoot hurricanes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I hope you always shoot out of the area. I hope when I, you're I doing always hurricanes. shoot out of the area. Yeah. Um especially living on the coast. Right. But um and when, when I used to travel with Bobby Bowden all over the country, I loved that travel. I was a younger guy, plus it's you're covering Bobby Bowden, you know. Right. You fly in on Friday, fly home on Sunday, you eat free. And he was a class act, too. You know, yeah. You could sit on a bus with him or, or whatever, you know, sit right. down and eat, uh, go to his office. So the, the travel has not been crazy.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm very pleased and proud to announce that How I Got Here is now sponsored by Socially Loved TLH. When I realized that the podcast may actually be getting listened to, I wanted to find a partner that would have the same general goals and benefit from reaching our local audience. That's why I'm so excited about connecting you with Socially Loved TLH. You have probably seen their books around town for years, but wait till you see what's coming in April. It's a similar concept reinvented in a new and exciting way. Socially Loved and How I Got Here are both interested in spreading encouragement and inspiration throughout the community that helps us understand each other just a little bit better. I encourage you to be part of their new Facebook group, Socially Loved by TLH. Just search it, Answer a few questions, and you're in. Join your neighbors, including me, who are already on board and sharing stories about the people and places that make Tallahassee special. Check it out today. Again, that's Socially Loved by TLH on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. People may not think of this initially, but you know, being a, a photographer is a physical job. You lug a lot of stuff around. You have to get in crazy positions. To get the shot that you want, I've I've read that you have had back surgery, shoulder surgery, knee problems. Tell me about the impact of the physical side of, of years of being a photographer.
0: It has its wear and tear items. Uh, basically, you know, in the early days at the, at the Democrat, you're chasing a lot of, uh, you're doing cram stories and whatnot. Um, and even over uh, in Baton Rouge, you're you're basically carrying two bowling balls around your neck. six to eight pound—they're bowling balls. You're running down the street with two bowling balls bouncing. Uh, then you got a forty pound bag on your right shoulder or, or back and forth. Then when I'm doing my commercial work now, you're carrying another sixty pounds of studio lights and umbrellas and soft boxes. And I've had two back surgeries. I fell off a place that i was trying to get a better angle in a shoot land on my shoulder well i tore that up
1: you know we see you at a basketball game and you're you know assuming you don't get fallen on or something but still i mean you're you're sitting you're sitting down popping up
0: yeah you're sitting on the floor cross-legged for two hours you know you go to try to get up at the end of the game to go photograph the jubilation but your legs don't work anymore (laughs) right Um, it's all challenging right Uh, I mean, you've had a bird's eye view of some of the coolest
1: moments, sports wise, especially, especially basketball and and football, you know, being right there in the middle when the coaches congratulate each other. You know, there's been shots of you next to Bobby or Jimbo when that when that happens, you know, great action shots. I mean, how does that feel? Not only to you're probably not getting to enjoy the moment while you're shooting it. But when you go back and look, or now you get to look down a couple minutes later and see what you got, and say that that's pretty cool.
0: I, I do like that, and it is pretty cool. But you're right; in the in the moment, you don't have time to to enjoy it. Um, I've shot a bunch of concert artists that I love, and after the concert, your friends be talking about so and so song. I don't remember any of that. You know, right. Right. I don't even couldn't tell you what song they played, which is unfortunate because I love this artist, you know, but you're busy looking through the lens, trying to compose the shot right. to, to get it like you want it, that kind of thing. So you're so focused on taking the pictures, being in the right place at the right time, at the right moment, with the right lens, with the right kind of film at, back in those days. you got to know what's going on to do all those things. The, there's been a couple of games where I've sat in the stands, um, you're up there going, "Whoa!" You can see the whole field. <laughs> you can see a play starting to develop. You can see All which right. way they're going. But when you're at ground level, and the linemen stand up to block, you can't see that quarterback and the running back. You know, you they're so you don't know where that running back's going to pop out. Hopefully, you cover them enough where you kind of recognize the plays. But I'm not that savvy of sports person
1: right you've mentioned the underbelly of the profession the kind of the hazards of the job that go along with long hours long trips and being involved in some unsavory aspects of society sometimes what impact has that had on you and how have you kind of what have you done to try to protect yourself from that
0: uh that, that it that does get to be a challenge um, and it's um, – if one's not careful, you can suffer from PTSD from that. I had a conversation today at lunch, as a matter of fact, on my way over here. I had a police officer stop me that I've known for years, and she was telling me she's fixing to retire uh, and was going to get a camera uh, so that when she traveled, you know, she could take pictures. One know if I'd help her with it. I said, sure. And she just said – she told me, she said, I wouldn't be retiring now, but – I'm, I'm having trouble with all the things I've seen these years, and I've got to get out. Um, and that I totally understand, uh, e- even more so for them, because they've, they've got videotapes of these crimes or, or crime photos, and I got to look through and look for detail. I mean, right. just over and over. Well, the same thing. Um, I did a crack cocaine series that I did for eight months um, where you're. You're dealing with the underbelly, the crime scenes, the, the uh, drug dealing.
1: I mean, you're right in the middle of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, in fact, yeah. I mean, they, they've they dealt crack in my car window. And I picked up a camera and shot. I had it ready to go down beside me. He's leaned in the window. I mean, you know, he could have pulled out a knife, I guess. You know, and there's a cop further back watching this but they can't be there that quick. Right, yeah. Um, And, um, you know, another time during that series, I wore camo clothes, painted my face, wrapped my tripod up in black tape so it wouldn't reflect, and then crawled 100 yards over um, on the FAMU campus, backside of FAMU campus, and photographed a drug deal outside the barbershop. Now, I did have a police officer with me that, it's not – I lived with some crack addicts. I mean, not overnight, but all day and all night until it's time to go home and go to bed. You see and hear a lot of stuff that you sometimes want to just grab them and say, hey, you're not thinking, right," you know, but you can't. You can't interfere.
1: I, I. It seems similar to like being embedded in a military unit, right? I mean,
0: you're, you're supposed to be invisible just as much as you can be. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, but they're following code of ethics. And whatever's going on. it doesn't keep them from getting killed it doesn't keep them from uh, reacting to each other's situations but when you're out doing some other stuff there is no code ethics there's no um, you know after several years of that it gets it's a challenge it's a challenge so how do you deal with that um, well you know psychologist helps uh, especially in the early years Um and then you, you learn to recognize it and and mm-hmm. back off some of that stuff I, I don't do that near I don't do it one hundredth of what it used to be because uh, the clients I work for now that's not generally there right it's not what they're after but but I'll tell you I I don't regret any of that covering any of that because like the the crack cocaine project that was when it first came to Tallahassee nobody knew about it except the people this is
1: 1988 right it was
0: 88. Right. Uh, the the people selling it, the people buying it, and the families affected by it, and the police. The, they were pretty much the only ones. That, and so the rest of the people in Tallahassee needed to see it. They needed to know what was going on uh, because what started in one part of the town is going to go to the other. I mean, it's when it comes to drugs. So a lot of this stuff, um, people need to know about it. You know, they a lot of them, don't want to know about it because life is a lot nicer if they don't. But it's hard to not know about it when they open the morning paper and it's right there on the front page. And I guess they can close the paper, and put it down, and not and not see it. But they're better off to know about it.
1: Well, similarly, a completely different kind of tough situation. But you went in and photographed Hurricane Katrina, right among. What, like maybe around 20 hurricanes total
0: over your career? Me? Something like that? 43. 43. 43 hurricanes and tropical storms cover for um, news. 43 hurricanes, all right. And tropical storms. Right. Yeah. And major storms where? I covered um, hurricanes for years for Reuters, and my my coverage area was Cedar Key to the Texas state line. That was all my territory. Wow. So—
1: that's most of the Gulf Coast.
0: I mean, yeah.
1: a big chunk of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and there were ones that came in here. I lived in Tallahassee then, not on the coast. Still didn't want them to come here. Right. But you know, I took four feet of water during Michael. So and my poor wife gets stuck cleaning up because I'm off wherever you know, Mexico Beach or right. where, wherever the hurricane is. So you're
1: shooting probably aftermath and impact, but sometimes as it's happening, right? You're in the You're in the storm?
0: That's correct. I, I, I always want to be wherever the eye is going to be. So it becomes a forecasting and guessing game for me when I'm driving. To So you're
1: the Jim Cantori of drive. photography. <laughs>
0: well, we were, uh, you know, photojournalists were the original storm chasers. Um, now they've got these storm tracing vans and people like to go and shoot video of tornadoes and uh, but photojournalists were the original ones. I mean, we went and covered them for the news. Right. Uh, we didn't have all these little spinning whirlywigs on top of the vans and whatnot. <laughs> um, so you're listening to police scanners back then, and nowadays you're you're online or or streaming, you know, weather stuff and trying to figure out where it's coming in, and at the same time you're on the phone trying to find hotels to book. And then, if it moves, goes the other way, and you're driving, you're calling, canceling this hotel and booking another one further down. You're asking them what floor is that room on? Is it on the east side of the building, west side of the building? And right. It,
1: so you can set up and have the best shot at getting
0: it. No, no. So that your windows aren't blown out, and so the roof doesn't rip off, and the water. Oh, the opposite. Out. You're looking That's for right. a safety. Safety, right? Because um, as the comedian says, it's not that the wind's blowing. It's what the wind's blowing. Right. So, and the stop sign coming at you at 60 miles an hour, Right. it's not survivable.
1: No. I mean, it takes a certain personality to want to do that and jump in the middle of it. Is that, was that natural to you? Did you have to kind of learn to, to do that?
0: Or, or a certain mental shortcoming. <laughs> Is that a, a lack of judgment? A, a certain amount of lack of judgment. Exactly. <laughs> No, uh, um, at least it started, it, it's adrenaline-based. And, and, of course, you're in the middle of a hurricane in the eye. And I've been in nine eyes, I think. Now, that being said, I'm not going to drive to Louisiana just to get adrenaline rush, you know. Um, and you go to a town and the law enforcement doesn't want you in there because you know we're on a curfew or um, it's dangerous or whatever. But if the photos... Don't get out on the wire or somewhere nationally, then the donations don't come in. If they don't see what the reality is, they're not donating to the Red Cross. You know, they need news coverage of those things, mm-hmm. uh, and the public needs to see what's in there, what's happening. Um, Tell me about covering the
1: devastation after Katrina.
0: It, it was probably the biggest one I'd covered, and. Um, I remember calling my wife from Biloxi and she was asking me about the storm and the last thing she heard was, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but this is the worst I've ever seen. And the phone went dead, and then she didn't hear from me for three days. Um and so one of our mutual friends, who's a photographer in Miami that also shot for Reuters, he called her up and said, told her, said, he's alive. He's moving pictures of pictures. So, But that's the only yeah. thing she knew. Um, that's scary. So it, it was um, it was pretty hurricane. Um, Michael, uh, I probably the fact that I live on the coast south of Tallahassee and, and needed to stay close to home because we didn't know if it was going to veer right. probably saved my life because I'd have been in Mexico Beach. You can mm-hmm. bet it.
1: You know. Yeah. That
0: would because have been everything th- was gone
1: there. That would have been a tough place to be. Yeah. There was no safe harbor there.
0: And there's only one or two hotels, and they are both gone. Right. So, yeah, there's no safe harbor.
1: I'm glad you were home.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah. Except I was in town at a hotel. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Not home home, but here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right, so I do want to talk for a minute about your accomplishments and some of the awards that you've been given. Um, you're a former Florida News Photographer of the Year. You're the winner of a team Pulitzer for your coverage of Hurricane Katrina for your your work in Biloxi, Uh, a two-time Pulitzer nomination, a nominee for your crack series in 1988, and also for your infamous picture of the Donald Trump rally in 2016, which also was just named as one of the best 20 shots of the decade, which is pretty huge. I don't know where to start with that, other than congratulations on your <laughs> on your many awards and nominations. But um, tell me about that. I mean, it's been going around on social media now, where you know people who know you are are excited and happy for you to be named to that list um, for that image. But that is a uh, it is crazy how how much how viral that image has become. Did you have any idea when you shot it? What that was going to be
0: that was one of um, 600 folks I mean 600 photos I'd taken at night maybe right. well for people who don't know describe the photo for us it, it's it's basically not of Trump it's of Trump supporters right now Trump's in a photo but his backs to the camera um, right. you know it's him he's got the red hat or whatever after and this was his first big rally in the campaign in Mobile, Alabama. He'd had a couple of rallies before that, but this was 20,000 people in a football stadium. It, and And after they talk on the stage, um, then they'll go down, typically if they're campaigning, they don't do it once they get in office, <laughs> Right? they'll go down along and, and work the line uh, and shake hands with people. A lot of times, then they'll bring the press up on the walkway or the runway, the stage, so that they can photograph down. So there must have been 20 of us up there Uh, Myself, I was shooting for Getty, you know, AP's there, just every major thing. And as he walked along, we're walking along and we're photographing. I think the only difference between mine and I saw the AP one is I I used a flash uh, because Mm. the stadium lights were lighting, but it's shadowing the people's faces. You can't see their faces. And so I was shooting a flash, so it made a much clearer image. And... It took off.
1: It's that look in that young woman's eyes, I think. And the baby. She's holding a baby baby
0: out there. Uh, And Chris um, Carilla, I'm not sure how you pronounce his Mm -hmm. name. He is the columnist at Washington Post. Apparently, the next day, wrote a column and took that image in his column and dissected it and told his readers what each person in that photo <laughs> what was going on in their mind. Right. he gave them all backstories. Right? He gave them all backstories and then and called for me to win an instant Pulitzer in his column. <laughs> and of course I didn't even I didn't know this, you know, and somebody finally said, "Hey, I guess you saw the Right. No, what are you talking about?
1: It really is kind of a, attributed as capturing the fanaticism of some of President Trump's followers. That's correct. That's and correct. Uh, it's a great photo for anybody listening who hasn't seen it. Just uh, it's not hard to to find on the Internet.
0: You know, and, and, in fact, I have uh, – I Googled Trump photo, just those two words, and that one popped <laughs> up. I didn't put name with it. I mean right. my name or anything. Um, or famous Trump photo, it pops up. That certainly is uh, the first thing I've – Ever had to went viral, you know? yeah.
1: I've seen estimates or as far as what you have negatives for, or um, in combination with digital you know, files upwards of 50,000 or more that you have access to.
0: No, no, no more no. than that. Oh, yeah, uh, negatives, just negatives. And we started shooting digital, we started scanning negatives to digital in '98. So, just negatives, I got over a million, a million, yeah. Individual pictures, wow, uh, and I've got and I have them all. I mean, the Democrat we didn't have room to store them; they kept them three years, and after three years, they give them back to you. Uh, a lot of a lot of photographers threw them away.
1: So you own the rights to them. That's correct. They're yours. Okay,
0: and so um, majority of those aren't digitized; they're just in negatives, and I've got them in humidity control storage. Um, one of these days, they'll make their way to the. R.A. Gray Building, I would assume. I, I haven't even come close to trying to estimate what I have digitally. Right. And the R.A.
1: Gray Building is the Florida Archives. That's right. right. Florida where Archives. The, where all the— They call it the Memory Project. How ironic is yes. that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one to own your photos. Um, I understand that Sir Elton John has one of your photos <laughs> in his private collection. How did how did that happen?
0: He, uh, One of his people called me one day and said that they had a photo collector that was interested in that image and wanted to see about buying a print, 16 by 20 print, for their gallery. The stuff I shoot for Getty and the stuff I shoot for AP is not technically owned by me. Um, I can use it for self-promotion or whatever. But, right. And so I told her before I passed that along, you know, the request— I needed to know, and they're going to certainly ask, who are you talking about? Who's wanting that image? And when she said Sir Elton John, I was like, oh, really? So it it turns out, unbeknownst to me at the time, that he's one of the largest private collectors of photography in the world. He's got (laughs) seven seven galleries, or six. They printed it at the Getty Gallery in London, shipped it to me to sign, and then I shipped it on to Elton John.
1: What was it an image of? It was the Trump
0: rally. Oh. That was the one he bought.
1: The photo of, that we were talking about right. earlier? That's right. Huh.
0: One, of, one of his galleries, and these galleries are in his homes all around the world. The one in Atlanta is the photojournalism gallery.
1: So in addition to freelancing now, you also have a job at the FAMU FSU College of Engineering as a photographer and a digital media specialist. Right. So tell me about that job.
0: Started with them last December. I had done a freelance job for them the summer before. And so she told me at that time that they were gonna, she was trying to get a part-time job. So I worked 30 hours a week for them, love it. Um, Gives me, that's why I'm here today. Get off at two o'clock on Thursday, (laughs) I'm off on Friday. Uh, So what do you photograph for them? Oh, a lot of cool stuff. They got three wind tunnels out there. I got robots. They do a lot of um environmental chemical engineering and mm-hmm. I mean these kids are smart, man. <laughs> um so I'm back working with um a team of folks um and it's you know interaction working together, you know, on stuff. It's great. I love it. And they and they're good to me out there. You know? Yeah. So you live in Shell Point? I live now? in Shell Point. Uh-huh. So tell me about
1: life on the coast I assume that's kind of a someplace you've wanted to be and now you get to to be
0: down there yeah I, I originally bought that place as a a getaway back when I was working full-time right. um, and um, so then when I left the Democrat I couldn't have two houses I'd sell one so I sold the one in town moved down there great love it down there when the water comes up the rest of the time it's great right you know um and, and it's not the water from above it's the water from below you know mm-hmm. but i've only been flooded twice dennis and michael not this time of year because it gets dark too early but normally i leave work go home you got a couple hours get in the golf cart right down to the beach open a beer take pictures of sunset play right. with the dog it's
1: great yeah i was going to ask um I mean, some of the most striking photos I've seen of yours recently are those exact shots, your dog, crazy shots of your dog at sunset and playing and with tennis balls and in the water. And I mean, I got to tell you, they almost look like they're not real, that they they're, real, they're photoshopped in right. some way, which I know they're not because you did it. Right. But um, they're, they're amazing.
0: It, um, it, it's fun stuff and they you're not being paid to do them. You're drinking a cold beer while you're doing it. You're listening to radio, you know, I'll have my radio and the golf cart going and we just sit out there on the beach or surrounding areas and, um, you know, talk to your friends, your neighbors when they come by. When the sun starts happening, some days are duds, but even the duds are good, you know. Right. Uh, it It's crazy. There's an 800-foot-long stretch of public beach there, and the amount of different stuff you see in that 800 feet amazes me. I mean— I go to the beach and look, won't be anything happening. So then I'll drive down to a friend's house it has got a different view of the water and then the other way to another. And you come back by and there's a dude lighting, uh, doing flame throwing. You know, he's breathing fire down right. on the beach. It's like, what the hell? What do you do? You know, where does this come from, right? <laughs> well, he yep. lives in Wakulla County and that's what he does. And so then the next time I see him, He's got his girl now. He's teaching her how to do it. Well, that's a picture, right? I mean, yeah, you know. For sure. What? How can you
1: not? That is not a typical date night. No,
0: no, it's not. So, and then untold number of weddings, you go down at dusk and couples get married. Um, they have great sunsets there. Winter sunsets are the best. There'll be a, a lot of times there's a lot of people on the beach watching sunset. They got their phones out and taking pictures of stuff. As soon as that sun goes below the horizon line, they're all going back to the car, getting the car and leave. Now, I got plenty of room to work because, to me, the sunset is not until after mm. it sets, if you will. You know, that's that's when it's just starting. That's, so, that's a tip for the amateur photographer, that's right. right? That's that's when the color is fixing to happen. That's good to you know. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's right. There you go. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'll take advantage of that <laughs> next time. I'll look real smart. I'm like, right. hey, everybody, this is when it's just getting yeah. started. Hold, trust tight. me. Trust me on this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That'd be one of the dead
1: days. Yeah, though. that's right. Probably. Uh, um, so you mentioned your wife several times throughout this. Um, please tell me who who your wife is and um, maybe
0: how you met her and, and what it means to you to have her in your life. My wife is Jeannie Booth. We met at the Democrat. She worked on the advertising side. I worked on the news side back in the day. That hallway that went down between That was them, an important barrier. That was a, it was a barrier. You yeah. you didn't really cross unless you had business over there. Well, once I spotted her, now I got business over there. <laughs> you got plenty <laughs> got, of business on the other a side. A lot of business on the other side. So um, and that's how we met. Uh, we used to we used to travel more and enjoy it, it when I was working again. And, and um, then I bought the place at the coast, so we went down there a lot. Now we lived there. Fell in love with her and been uphill or downhill, whatever. It's <laughs> <The> a <laughs> so good direction. <laughs> Either way. Uh,
1: so, what has she added to your life as as your partner?
0: She's added a great deal. She's um, she is probably the main reason for my positive attitude. When I worked for the Democrat, I could have very easily been described as a sourpuss, uh, hard to get along with. Um, she has taught me to to look at the brighter side of everything. You know, on those days when when everything goes to shit, there's still a bright side on some of it because this didn't happen bad or that one didn't happen bad right. or you're still here or... And, and and that used to just go over my head, you know, what are you talking about? Look, look at all these bad things that happen. Nowadays, that's, you know, I, I know the bad things that happen today. It went, it went to crap. And, and I can write them all down, but... This didn't happen. Or if if that one bad thing hadn't happened, then this other wouldn't have happened. You know, so yeah. therefore that has helped my freelance career because you can't be a sourpuss and work for yourself. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to put on Nobody a face. Nobody wants to work with somebody with a sour face. yeah no, no. so, um, so that's helped tremendously there. Yeah. And I, I got to give her all the credit for that. Yeah. You also mentioned a son. I have a son, Justin. He's um, 30 now, and he works for Game and Fish. Loves it. He, he's a fisherman. Uh, loves being on the water. And they, I didn't see him a lot fishing our area until the county finally put a boat ramp in there. Now, he, you know, now sometimes I get out in the golf cart and drive by, and there's his car there. So he's out there fishing. It's like I had not heard anything from him. I go put a note on his car. What the hell? Uh, <laughs> but uh, then he'll come now and stay couple days days, whatever fish out of there. And, nice. Uh, good kid. Love him. Yeah. Proud of him for his accomplishments, you know, um, FSU graduate. Yeah. Gotta like that.
1: Always. <laughs> um, so Mark, looking back, what is the one thing or person that has changed or altered the trajectory of your life to this point? Is there anything that stands out to you?
0: Certainly. I would say my son for one, uh, everyone knows uh, when you have that first child and in this case my only your life changes that day right. um, I mean from that moment it's going to be different not saying good or bad but it's different uh, so that certainly has been uh, life altering uh, my wife Jeannie uh, the change in attitude to a smaller much smaller degree but it's certainly incremental all the things I've covered in my career yeah, have been little life changes um, good and bad now the life that I've led, the things that I've witnessed and, and have been certainly accumulated you know, yeah. life changes
1: Alright, this is the final question the name of this podcast is How I Got Here, so we talked about what got you to this point in your life where do you think here might be for you in three to five years from now?
0: Retired Yeah, is that the goal? That's the goal, to make it to retirement. (laughs) Um, I can legally retire this April, uh, but I I don't think I will. I mean, I'm going to keep working in engineering uh,
1: is my plan. Maybe be choosier about the freelance stuff that you do?
0: The job I got at engineering allows me to do that already. Yeah. And that's nice. Um, I can turn down the the crummy ones, if you want to call it that. uh, You know, I found out that Generally, the cheaper jobs that just want you to shoot something quick and they're not going to pay you much. Those folks cause the most problems in your life. <laughs> any of do. them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've had the luxury of being able to fire some of those. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to fire anybody, but those, sometimes it's for the good. It is for the good yeah. for their for them too. I right. would assume. Yeah. But um, I'll never put down a camera. I don't think. I don't foresee it.
1: Do You still get joy from
0: taking photos. Oh, every single day. I can't imagine. I got two in the trunk out there. I'm surprised I didn't bring one in. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, yeah. um, they go everywhere. I don't want to put them down. I get, I get thrilled. I get excited every time I pick one up. Even just when I do the headshots, I, it excites me to pick that camera. You know, I, I'm comfortable. Right. Kind of becomes part of you, I guess. Oh, right? absolutely absolutely. I don't know where it will end up, but that's okay, too. It keeps it exciting.
1: That was Mark Walheiser. If you've lived in Tallahassee more than five minutes, then you've seen his work. And if you plan to attend a political rally this election cycle, just remember that Mark will probably be there, and you could end up being famous. Trust me, just Google it. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiore Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at